I'm going to give you a snapshot from the story of David and Goliath. Who has heard of David and Goliath? Who's heard about it in sermons? Jewish people talk about it, but have you even heard about it in secular speeches? Stories in business about the David and Goliath stories of business. Uh, it's one of the most famous stories, but I want to just break down a couple of the points in it because I want to show you how David was able to serve the purposes of God in his generation and how he was a man after God, God's own heart, how, what that constitutes for each man and woman in this place today, and to shake off the heaviness. And in fact, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a group of examples, a cloud of witnesses, David and so forth, that surround us, Noah, who built an ark to the saving of his family, Abraham and Sarah, who were able to have babies past childbirth age, and uh, Moses, who provided leadership to get people out of uh, slavery, 430 years of slavery, and into the, the wilderness, and where God provided manna and, and water and sustenance, and then how Joshua and Caleb were anointed to go to take it another level past the Jordan into the promised land, how Jesus obeyed and fulfilled the will of God. Since we have all these examples that surround us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and get rid of the, para eliminate parasitic drag and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary in and lose heart. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you faint not. Uh, reap what? The consequences of the seeds you've sown, the, the atmosphere of faith that you've released, the prayers you've prayed, the life you've lived in obedience to God. Come on. God has worked to get you to this place. God has slotted you in this particular zone. God has brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this, Mordecai said to Esther, during an incredibly toxic moment of ethnic hate with Haman killing and wanting to kill off all the Jewish people. And John chapter 4 said salvation comes through the Jews. So that's why there's been so much anti-Semitism, because those are God's people, carriers of God's plan and purpose. And so we see those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but we overcome and we understand the nature of these things and we make no provision for the flesh with regard to its lust, but in fact, we make provision for the breakthrough plans of God. We make provision for our spirit. We make provision to be usable by God and, for, and, and, and available to God. So we, today, this is a turning point for us. Today is a moment where we can humble ourselves, we can repent, we can surrender. One more day where we drive a stake in the ground and we say, Lord, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. One more day where we could say, I forget what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Laying aside weights and encumbrances is different than sin. Sin besets us. Sin blocks the flow. The collateral damage of sin in the garden was alienation and separation. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the, the Greek word is hamartia, which means missing the mark. But if you've ever been in, involved with archery or, or target shooting uh, when you were a child or whatever, you know you want to hit the bullseye, don't you? 
Jesus hit the bullseye. He finished the course. He finished strong. And we consider him and we watch him. David served the purposes of God in his generation and then he died. And all the summary of his failures and successes were uh, articulated in David was a man after God's own heart and he would do all of his wills. That's plural. And God has key things that he wants to present to you in these upcoming moments. There are things that God has planned since before the foundations of the world concerning your authority as a believer, your, your dominion as a forward presence of the kingdom of God, your position as a new creation in Christ, your uh, ability to stand in the gap as a prayer warrior and an intercessor. And instead of being overwhelmed and overcome, you know how to pray vital God-shaped prayers from the Bible and you get results. You share the gospel and you take advances Listen, when I was a kid, there weren't churches like this. When I was a kid, there were denominational churches, and there was this phenomenon called the Jesus Movement. Very few churches had numbers even like this during a pandemic of social distancing where we've had to move the chairs and wear masks. But yet in the early church, and one day, 3,000 were added from Peter, who came from being insecure, vacillating, blowing in the, like a reed blowing in the wind, to becoming the solid rock filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he preached his first sermon, 3,000 were added just in Jerusalem alone. I am forever etched and imprinted with expansion, with vastness, with abundance. I believe in God's mega power, mega authority, mega name above every name. And I believe we're going to see a mega harvest of souls coming up upon us, upon this local church, upon other churches. Nets will be thrown out. God is about ready to sweep people out of these lesser conclusions into the awareness that I have got to give my life to Jesus Christ. Remember when you got saved? Remember before you were saved, how indifferent you were, how your concepts about God, you were religious maybe, or you were an atheist or an agnostic, you didn't know, you didn't care, or you were religious and you're trying to appease God and some sort of constructs that you got inherited that you, that you had to earn it and, and you'd try to uh, do some sort of a performance basis, and yet you hear about a new birth and the gift of God's mercy and his eternal life, and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And upon doing so, you became a brand new creation in Christ. Don't you want to see that repeated again and again and again in the hearts and lives of so many? The multitudes are white unto harvest. We, we've got to get a, a sense about this right now. But it's a perilous time. In the end times, difficult Perilous times will come. People will be obsessed with themselves, the haters of good. And if they do hold to a form of godliness, they deny the power thereof. And Paul articulated that in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. But then yet, God's called us to be just oh, not be ignorant of it. We're, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We don't ignore it. But happy are the people whose God is the Lord. It doesn't hinder our faith uh, one bit. It doesn't diminish our joy one bit. So we look into the Old Testament now, and we read this story. I want to show you something about David um, not allowing parasitic drag in a transitional moment of his life. Parasitic drag, in the terms I want to tell you about, have to do with the time in 1947 when fighter pilot, test pilot Chuck Yeager, who, by the way, just died a couple months ago out in Los Angeles at 97 years old, the pioneer who broke the sound barrier with his engineer friend Ridley 
and how God anointed those guys to, to go to something that was previously, the physics of 1947 suggested it was impossible, but yet they broke through it and it caused an advancement in, in aviation. Uh, they had something called parasitic drag that when they got to a certain point, things started to shake and they couldn't go any, any faster or any further. But on the ground, the, Ridley, the engineer, started to strategize and he had, was the best of both worlds, according to Chuck Yeager. He was a pilot, but he was also an engineer. Chuck Yeager was really proficient in avionics as a pilot, but he didn't know a lot of what Ridley had worked so uh, skillfully on and developed, but he re they relied on each other. And one supported the other, and Chuck Yeager all his life made sure he gave credit to his friend, who though he wasn't in the cockpit, uh, he actually, his gifting put him in the cockpit and enabled the cockpit not to fall apart so he could make that advance. They figured something out called parasitic drag. Everybody say parasitic drag. I grew up in California and there were boats out everywhere and there were people that were making a good living scraping barnacles off the hull of these pleasure boats uh, because the little bitty uh, little barnacles uh, that would form on the, the surface of the, of the hull would cause the boat to become inefficient. It would cause you to have to pay more for gasoline, it would cause you to go slower and the performance would be diminished. Just little bitty little nothings. Uh, years ago in the 90s when the Berlin Wall came down, I flew to speak over in a place in, uh, in Prague that was a former communist palace, which is where they would have big lectures on their ideals of communism. And now I was being invited to go into the communist palace and preach on the gospel of Jesus. And I got in an airplane and went up north to Minnesota, got rerouted because of the wind here. And when uh, that was the first time in my life where I saw them de-icing the wings. It was kind of scary. I watched them and I, there was ice on the wings. Just a little bit of ice crystals can cause a, a drag that could cause a, a danger. So this is where today, as we're preparing for increase, as we're preparing for the Lord of the harvest to come and download some amazing things, to manifest himself, on a fresh level, to stir amongst the lost and inspire uh, amongst the saved and bring us into clarity. I believe that the Lord is saying to lay aside the weights, the encumbrances, the sin that so easily besets us so that we may run, run, run to win. Run with endurance. Run all the way with determination. Uh, run toward that which God has designated since before you were formed in your mother's womb. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. What an assurance to a young Jewish uh, boy who had a destiny to tear down and rebuild, to be one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And his, his response was, Lord, I'm just a kid. He said, don't say you're just a kid because everywhere I send you, you'll go. And he said, and I watch over my word to perform it. What a message of assurance to a young Jewish boy. And what a message for that matter to another young Jewish boy about 17 years old who gets a calling from his father, Jesse. Hey, I want you to go to the battlefield and bring some lunch to your brother Eliab and your other brother. And I want you to uh, uh, just go see how they're doing. And so he says, yes, sir. And so we see here in the story of David, chapter 17, verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies 
and went as Jesse had commanded. Boy, there's a lot of potency in this first, this first sentence. David did what his dad called him to do. He was obedient. Everybody say obedience. And then he delegated to the flock to a keeper. And then he took supplies and went as Jesse had commanded. And so then he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Now, my wife and I had the privilege a year ago this, this month of being in this very field. And as we were in this field, I'm happy to tell you it's not been commercialized. And I talked to the, the Jewish guides. I said, man, this is so great. They've left this pristine. You can get out in this field and you could see the hill where the Philistines were. And you could see the hill where Saul and the army was, the big giant basin where they would have had the battle array and the fight, and even the brook where they took, David ultimately took the smooth stones out of the brook. It's all there. It's all there. So you, it's like walking into the pages of the story of 1 Samuel 17. And uh, David left his baggage <laughs> in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. Let me take a little bit of liberty. We have baggage, don't we, in life. We go through temptations, tests, trials. We've been let down. We've failed. We've, we've had issues. And yet he left his baggage. I'll take a little bit of liberty with that. He left the flock in the care of a keeper. He got his eyes on what his next steps were, and he went not having any concept of the depth of what he was about to become involved in which is often the case in the walk of faith. Just minding your own business, raising your kids, going through the motions, you know, learning how to cooperate with one another in your marriage, flowing, you know, serving, coming to church, week in, week out, year in, year out, praying prayers in the rhythm, reading your Bible. Pastor Jeff, I've heard the story of David and Goliath a zillion times, but yet there's so much meat on the bone, there's so much protein in the pages, that there's so much revelation in this that you might just see some new things right now. David left his flock in the care of a keeper. David left his baggage, and then he took the lunch, and he went in, and as soon as he got there, he heard a mocking of this giant named Goliath, a champion of Gath. They say he was about nine feet tall, and his spear was like a weaver's beam, huge. And... Uh, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Historically, this was a terrible moment. Israel was seized with fear. But along comes this young boy from uh, shepherding sheep and obeying his dad and bringing the lunch to his brothers, the warriors. And he, upon hearing the mocking, gets a provocation in his heart. He gets a stirring in his heart. He gets a sense that he's supposed to do something about it. He, in fact, is on a collision course with the beginning of a destiny. But he's actually already been in increments of his destiny, just in the small things. You and I, we have been getting prepared for eternal issues. We, according to the scriptures, when we're even dead after we leave these bodies, will have kingdom duties out there in the realm of the spirit with God. Humanity and the earthly experience is on-the-job training for the ages to come. That's what we see and believe as believers. For the ages to come, we might show the grace and mercy and wonderful blessings of God. So this ought to inspire us to move beyond maintenance, beyond survival, beyond coping, and recognize, wow, 
I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God put his hand on my life. He loves me with an everlasting love. I have a part in the body of Christ. I have a place in this what seems to be crazy, chaotic, random time sequence. And God is faithful and God is good. And his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are his so that he may strongly support them. Of course, we see David was a man after God's own heart, although we also see his failings. And we see the terrible times where he lapsed and, was, and blew it on profound levels. And yet, really, then God's mercy comes in, repentance comes in, humbling comes in, and we see a succession of God's goodness continue to be thrown on David, wave after wave after blessing after blessing. And we read about him when Stephen prophesies and preaches that he was a man after God's own heart that would do all of God's wills, and that after he served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. Chuck Yeager just died. He's heroic, not only to the aviation world. He's this rugged cowboy guy that just wanted to be the guy that pushed the envelope. And um, we're talking about him today. And it's fascinating to think that there can be breakthrough technology where people that said nobody can run past a four-minute mile, nobody could run faster. And then a whole bunch, once somebody did, a whole bunch of people started to. They said you couldn't have church be over 75 people in America. That was the average size of a church in America. Well, then God wanted to do something and say, wait a minute, do not limit me. Do, do not sell me short. Do not, do, don't, don't, don't pray small prayers. Don't dream small dreams. And there have to be people. There has to be a, a group of, a body of people that will hold to this and stand for this, and pray about this, and overcome whatever comes so you can stay dialed into your purpose, and then you'll see amazing breakthrough. David said, what's in it for the guy that puts a whooping on that giant? Oh, you get the king's daughter? I guess that was kind of a big deal for him. It's like, whoa. And uh, there's such a prize, you know, you, there's such a prize. He, he, had a, he had a goal, he had an eye to the, to the reward. Did you know that it, this will give you, our motive is to love the Lord, but there are incentives that he, is a, he has a reward system. The rewards aren't our motive. We have to keep our motives humble before him. But there has to be, we need to be ambitious for good works. We have to be zealous for good works. We have to have an actual courage about us. We have to lift up our eyes and say, Lord of the harvest, thrust, thrust forth laborers into the harvest field. What have we been through? The terrible attacks, temptations, tests, trials, demons hate what we represent. And yet, you know, David and Goliath represent something to us. Just like the sound barrier. I'm not a, I'm not a pilot. I don't fly. But I, I dream. And I can, I can draw the parallel. And I can see the example and I, though I've never faced off with a giant champion from Gath, yet we have. We had to face off with many giants in our own households. We've had to face off with giants in our own personal flaws. We've had to face off with giants in society. We are facing off with these giants currently. And we've got to learn how to not take the bait of Satan. We've got to learn how to lay aside parasitic drag. And we've got to learn how to eliminate it and do a replacement kind of procedure where we remove and replace I'm going to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to crucify my doubts. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to quit being disobedient. I'm going to forgive and I'm not going to be resentful, right? 
And I'm going to stay in faith and get out of fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, it gets real quick here. Verse 31, when, when the words which David spoke were heard, they, told, they were told them to Saul, who was the king, and then the king sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Here's a 17-year-old shepherd boy talking to a prestigious, dynamic king. And he's saying, I, I don't worry about it. I can handle it. And Saul said to David, you're, you're not able. Not to, you're, you're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with you. He said, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. Elon Musk, the head of Tesla, who started PayPal, was interviewed recently, and he said that there's the MBAization of business. He said, that he, somebody said, should there be more emphasis on innovation? He said, no, there should be emphasis just on doing your thing better than ever. And, and, and he just said such amazing things. My wife shared this with me. I thought, wow, it's interesting where you could get good information from such interesting places. Chuck Yeager, Elon Musk, saying such amazing things. I thought, that's true. Instead of just wishing your life away in some sort of ideal and thinking we've got to make something more magnificent, just do what you do. Just worship God from the heart. Serve from the heart. Give from the heart. Just read your Bible and stay with it from the heart. Now, share the gospel and mean it. Pray with faith, you know, and that God will take that and develop it and he'll bless it just like he did the five loaves and two fishes of the little boy's lunch. Just like he took the lady that had just a little bit of oil and she poured it into the empty vessels and it increased and it increased. Hallelujah. Here's what he says. He says, you're too young. You can't do it. You're not able. See, Saul was the professional unanointed David was the unprofessional anointed. And he comes back and he says, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's flock when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. So I see Saul just listening. I went out after him and attacked him and, and rescued from it from his mouth. And when he rose against me, I seized him by his beard, struck him and killed him. Now here's how he gets the fighting words. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. You ever get prayers answered? You ever overcome something? You ever been through a thing or two? That's your lion and your bear, reference point. Some of you have been through some depression. Some of you have been through heartache. You've been through the pains of, of alienation or loss or whatever may have happened to you, bankruptcy or, or divorce or whatever you, you faced. And it was brutal. You, you cried. You, you suffered. You went through a period where you hardly could even fellowship with the Lord over it. You were so broken in some cases. Yet here you are today. God got you and snatched you out of the flames. He pulled you out of that jaws of a lion just like David did with this little lamb. Remember that, that video, uh, Battle at Kruger, where the husband and wife were videoing with a handy cam at a water hole in Africa and a herd of Cape Buffalo came up over this beautiful ridge to get some water, but then, then lo and behold, there was a whole pride of female lions hunched down on their haunches, ready to pounce, and uh, before the, the lead bull could scent their scent, uh, they had gotten too close within range, and then they turned to run, but the little, there was a little calf that, that wasn't fast enough, and the lions seized upon the calf. 
and they, they rolled with the calf, and they just, the lions, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, they were trying to devour this little vulnerable calf, rolled down into the water, it, and it, it, you think it's bad enough, but then two 14-foot Nile crocodiles came out and got on the business end of the calf, and they started playing tug-of-war. The lion's up on the shore, the, the crocodile's in the water. In fact, they're so fascinated by this accidental video, a National Geographic professional photographer said, this is a career-making film. You, may, you go through a lifetime to capture these kinds of shots, and these guys were on vacation and did it accidentally. And, but what it captured for me as a Christian was that here comes the herd, you know, and they're coming along, minding their own business, and then one of their young gets attacked, and it start, goes in, there's this terrible battle, and there's this pull and this tug, but then all of a sudden, the video, you're watching it, and then the, the, the intercessors come. The, 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 the whole herd comes galloping back, you know? And uh, they came back, and the lions started to hunch down there. Now they're not all fierce. Now their ears are back, and they're panicked. And one of the lead bulls gets up there and gores one of the lionesses and flicks her about maybe 15 feet up in the air like a little rag doll. And the best part, though, is that you see on the video the little calf that now has nubs for ears and has his tail removed has been reunited with the herd and they all kind of herd around him and walk him away and the lions run off uh, cowering and some of the lions run, uh, the, the, the bulls run to attack the, the lions just to run them off and it's a fantastic, you should look it up, not right now while I'm preaching, but you should look it up because it'll inspire you about It'll show you the inevitability of the devil trying to come pick you off. There are Goliaths in life. There are giants and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And yet God is our God. And he's looking for people that will trust him and lay aside parasitic drag. Now, I've laid all this out as a foundation, and I've got a few minutes to give you my points. You ready to hear them? Here's what happened. It says, David, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. You know, so one minute he says, you're not able. And then he goes, okay, go ahead, go ahead and do it. And then he says, hey, by the way, here, you can have my armor. Uh, this was not a good moment for Saul. David girded his, his sword and he gave him his bronze helmet and, and for his head and clothed him with his armor. So everybody say Saul's armor. And this, this is what I think Elon Musk was saying about the EM, uh, MBAization of business, where you exalt the tools above the altar, where you lean on the arm of the flesh, where you think there's got to be some sort of technique to, to overcome. Listen, what it ends up being is a, a little kid that's obedient to God that turned the whole blooming world around. Black History Month, William Seymour, one of my personal heroes. Blind in one eye, didn't have the benefit of a, of a, a quality education because of the crazy segregation of, its of his time, and yet undaunted, he hungered after the Lord, he read his Bible, prayed in faith, prayed and got a result, and the whole tone of Christianity changed in a five-year period. That's History Month that we should talk about, because that's monumental for the body of Christ for the last several decades, 125 years maybe. God has done exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think over and over and over again. I go to a church where we got in the building, which was a miracle, fixed it up, which was miraculous. It got flooded, which was dreadful. 
And we had a comeback, which was beautiful. And in the meantime, God opened the door of faith to all the people around us. I serve a God that when the Serbians decided to attack the Muslims in Kosovo, God anointed our church to go and take care of them for 20 years. And we worked and we built a dental clinic, we fixed their houses, and we earned the right over a two-decade period to speak into their lives. Coming into the crazy concepts of socialism and the diminishment of the value of people, coming in with our American viewpoints of potential and the value of a person and what, what things can transpire if we'll just be generous. And, and all, in my view, fueled by our Christianity. That's where it comes from. It comes from the Bible to love people, to serve the less fortunate, no matter who they are. In, our, in this case, these were the ethnic Albanians, the Muslims that were suffering from evil, damage done. And we had to go in and had to come in and say, listen, we're going to come in and, and we're going to respond to this. We're going to serve in this. The valley flooded and all of a sudden we just acted like normal Christians. And every Saturday for two solid years, I had to come in with my rubber boots and go out and serve in those little groups. And God instructed me, you're not a crew chief. You're there just to work. Go out there and work. Let other people be crew chiefs. You go out there and you serve. And I went out there and I worked and shoveled and labored alongside everybody else. And we earned the right to speak into people's lives. We got to pray with them on their porches. We got to lovingly take care of their stuff that was waterlogged. We got to hold them their hand when they went through the recovery that took uh, years. We, we got to offset some heart attacks and offset some, uh, some strokes and offset some divorces and some of the depression and things that, comes in those, that come in those kinds of cases. All just because we're acting like Christians. All just because God had, had said, hey go, hey, go into that building, read your Bibles, worship, fellowship, have some events, do children's church, and I'll show you what to do. Okay. Jesse goes, hey, get your sheep taken care of. Give them to a keeper. Lay your baggage aside. Take this lunch to Eliab. Oh, and then he gets in there. What's, he goes, starts getting a prompting. Who is, is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David had left his baggage with the baggage keeper. David left the flock with the keeper in order for this important next step. And even when Saul tried to give him his armor, it's like Elon Musk said, the MBAization, MBAization of, he said, it's not just dollars and cents. It's not just the sophisticated business model. He said, it's gotta be a passion to provide a greater service and bless the people. He, he was basically articulating Christian ideals, whether he knew it or not. He was basically saying, do your work heartily, do it for the right reason, do it well, do it with excellence, don't try to look for gimmicks. And this is what David's, David's coming in and saying, I, I don't appreciate this guy mocking my God and besmirching his name and reducing the armies of Israel and, and so that the world might know and Israel might know that there is a God, I'm coming out in the name of the Lord. But this is what I want to show you. David put on the sword and the armor in verse 39 and he tried to walk. For he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, hey, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. This is, he had to get rid of parasitic drag. He had to eliminate parasitic drag. You would think Dave, Saul's armor would be helpful. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I've had so many opinionated people try to tell me how to do things. 
I've had so many people say, you got to run over here and you got to look at this. You got to do this at your church. You got to do this. You got to do this. There's peer pressure in every area. There's, I remember peer pressure at elementary school, junior high, high school. There's peer pressure at work. There's peer pressure in the sports field. There's peer pressure with your neighbors. We bought our first house and the neighbor came up on his riding mower, rode up to greet us, turned the motor off and said hi to us and pointed at our lawn and said, are you going to take care of that lawn? Because the lawn was let go. The neighbors before did not have a high priority to fix the lawn. All of a sudden, the neighbor is letting me know his priority in life. He's a retired teacher. He knew Patsy from school, principal. He's now lawn shaming me. We hadn't, we hadn't even moved in. I don't think the contract, I don't think the ink was dry on the contract. Everybody say peer pressure. Oh, there's peer, peer pressure galore. That's why I pulled away from the ministry culture because I get in those environments and they, they, they go, how many are you running? Because either you're, I, I, I'm going to be intimidated or I'm going to intimidate. It's like, I have nothing to do with, this isn't why I'm in this. I'm in this out of obedience. I'm in this because I'm trying to obey God. I'm in this because I prayed my head off about it as a youth. God's been directing me on it for decades. And it's not about comparing myself with others. I'm not in a competition with other churches. I'm not trying to create an atmosphere where it's like, well, we've got a new and improved, better system here. It'll make you happier to be here. No, you got to be led by where God wants you to plant, be planted. There are wonderful churches all over the place, and I deeply honor them. But yet, I'm not comparing myself among, we all, I had a wonderful pastor here, and he spoke, and he said, though we're on a different trajectory, we all have the same goal. Now, I could work with that guy, he's retired now, but we flowed together, because we weren't clashing. So God is going to bring things together, where people aren't whining, comparing, sheep stealing, uh, trying to backstab you, steal your ideas, draft off of your gift, um, Hallelujah. Wow, I'm, what I'm just sharing in my heart. Praise the Lord. You can pray for me. Four points on how to get rid of a parasitic drag. Number one, get rid of the parasitic poisonous mindsets. Now remove and replace. Get rid of resentment, anger, bitterness, wrath, grudges, and also guilt and shame. David had to get rid of guilt and shame because he was guilty. Read Psalm 51. The way he got rid of that is he repented and he removed it by confessing his sin. And God brought amazing replacement of restoring to him the joy of his salvation. Resentment is a trap. That's a poisonous mindset that will cause drag on your wings. So replace unforgiveness with forgiveness, amen? And one thing I like about forgiveness is it's not emotional, it's decisional. So I've had to forgive people before I felt like it. I've had to forgive people and where I couldn't forget. In some ways, unfortunately, my brain is like a bear trap and I have stuff rattling around in there that I wish I didn't. But instead of being poisoned by it, I'll be informed by it, I'll learn from it, I'll practice mercy. And, and, and God's shown me so much mercy, I might as well be merciful. Anytime I start getting tempted to get all bitter and stuff, it's like, wait a minute, I should have gone to hell, so God forgave me of that, so I just forgive everybody, right? Number two. Get rid of the parasitic drag of the invisible prison of limiting beliefs. Replace doubt and ignorance with Bible reading and trusting God. Replace doubt and ignorance with Bible reading and trusting God. Saul's armor won't do. What I was saying earlier where I got riled up is man's methodology does not 
It has its place, just like Elon Musk. He has MBA people working for him. I know his, I know his uh, chief designer. I mean, they're geniuses. Ridley was a genius, but Ridley was also pragmatic. He could speak in pilot terms, and he was, one was from West Virginia, one was from Oklahoma. They could talk sense to each other. They didn't talk a bunch of rhetoric. They didn't talk a bunch of suits theory. They just, they didn't put on Saul's armor. They got practical. Hey, let's get this and figure out how to win and conquer the blooming barrier that previously hindered everybody. Whenever they got to a level of this barrier, the plane started having problems. So there was an incentive to, other than just winning in the history books, they had an incentive to improve the safety and the welfare of the pilots by making those advances. That's why they had to push past those things. God wants to anoint people like you and me to push past previously held barriers so that we can provide an example of hope to the next groups of people. And that's what I want to do. That's why I'm not competing with other people. I want to be too busy doing what we do under the Lord and too busy being faithful to God and not even bother to try to compete or compare with other people. I have absolutely zero interest in that. My passion is to build not on another man's foundation or in another man's sphere. My passion is to see something go forward that's never been done before. Simple too, not even an obsession with something uh, of grandiose uh, 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 innovation. Uh, I desire something fresh. It could be something simple. It could just be a Goliath broken that causes a repercussive impact of whole households coming to Jesus or people coming to the Lord that have previously been bound up in numbness and dullness. Number three, get rid of addictions of all kinds. Those things create hindrances to our lives. Uh, just, it, I mean, I remember when I was going through a depressive moment, ice cream became my go-to uh, drug of choice. And I was a jogger, so I would run and I would burn off all the calories, so I would just eat uh, copious amounts of ice cream because after all, it's protein. And chocolate is an antioxidant, so chocolate ice cream is a, right? But we need to replace these things with trusting God. Figure it out and shake off the weights and the encumbrances every day. Just shake it off. Shake it off. Number four, pride and ego. This is my last point. Pride and ego. Pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And uh, we need to lay these things aside. That does not mean in replacing remove and replace. It does not mean we replace it with inferiority complex. It does not mean we have self-deprecating belittlement. God wants us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's all stand up on our feet. Today we're focusing on getting rid of the stuff that prevents you from breaking through barriers to get to where you want to be. I repeat, today we're focusing on getting rid of the stuff that prevents you from breaking through barriers to get you where you want to be. One more time, today we're facing on, we're, we're focusing on getting rid of the stuff. What did David do with the baggage? He untethered from the baggage. You know, one of the things I miss about jump is seeing a whole multitude of young people that haven't accumulated much baggage yet. 
And I don't want to put baggage on them. I don't want them to have a religious construct. I don't want them to feel a bunch of bondage and a bunch of, 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 of uh, religiosity or works. And for that matter, you're all children of God. And it is my birthday tomorrow. I'm over 28. I'm just starting to mature. I'm growing up in all aspects in Him. We have the mind of Christ. We have access to the throne of grace. God inhabits the praises of his people. If two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. Signs and wonders are following you. Goodness and mercy follow you. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's anointed your head with oil. God's hand is on your life for good. He's protected you. He's garrisoned around about you. He's walked you through ridiculous temptations, tested trials. He's been with you through high times. He's been with you through hard times. And look, having done all to stand, you still stand. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the parasites of poisonous mindsets, the, the parasitic drag of the prison of limited beliefs. Hey, let's believe God for bigger things. How many of you can believe God for hundreds of millions of souls coming to Christ in our lifetime, in our generation? See, William Seymour, the one-eyed African-American during Jim Crow segregation, broke out of that. He did not have a chip on his shoulder. He was not insecure. He wasn't trying to overcompensate. He wasn't trying to say, hey, I'm an African-American. You got to listen to me. He was just a man wanting God, right? That's really where the history is, right? And so here we are as a team, as a body, as a St. Louis Family Church. Here, here we are on the precipice of a new beginning. In 29 days, it'll be spring. We'll get to turn our clocks back to daylight savings time and the sun won't go down at 4.15 in the afternoon. It's not gonna be below zero pretty soon. It's gonna be sun, trees are gonna bloom. And a guy prophesied in 1997 right here at the church. He said, this local church is gonna be like a tree flowering. It's gonna expand and then he saw fields. And uh, God is about ready to do something with souls. God's about ready to do something in you, with you, and as an individual. Do not let the devil run you off from your moment. Do not let the voice of Goliath hinder you or cripple you. Do not let the peer pressure of Eliab or the others. Eliab mocked David, said, what are you doing here? Made him question his motives. He said, I'm here because my dad sent me here to give you this lunch, big brother like a big baby. Saul, here, try my armor that didn't work for me. Here, it'll work for you. That's, that's what I hear. Business world, church world, uh, uh, self-help stuff. It's like, here, try the, it's like, I don't want, I just need a pair of flip-flops and a New Testament and let's go get the salvation. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and have a great day. Hallelujah.